North South Connection, welcome back to the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast, episode number 43. We are um, hot off of SummerSlam 2002, which was um, a better show than I remembered. I discussed it with JT, um, great episode, but happy to be back. I have a guest that has been on many, many times, one of my most frequent guests and favorite people in the world, Mr. Scott Shiflett. What's up, Scott? Jake, you're my number one. I love being on the show with you. It brings back so many good memories because like you, like we've talked about this on previous podcasts, like, like this is what we were watching because we have like the similar age and it's like post attitude errors when I remember like a lot of stuff from wrestling. Right. Do you, so the last thing we covered, of course, was Survivor Series 02, which I remember being a good show, but man, we, we, me and JT talked it out and it was, it's kind of a low key like I don't know if I would call it like an all-timer all-timer but it's pretty damn close like that chamber was much better than I even remembered um but any thoughts on do you have any memories of Survivor Series since we're kind of coming off of that and it's a pretty big show uh yeah I like the chamber a lot the only thing I did not like is uh because I've told told you this was uh Sean with his uh poop poop brown uh pants that made it into the video game the next year um so I did Terrible. not like that. Yeah, it was real bad. And also uh, Scott Steiner's pop when he came out and just beat the hell out of Nowinski and um, Matt Hardy was great. And also the uh, the tables match with, um, you know, Dud, Dud, Dud Hardly, you know, versus <laughs> uh, Three Minute Warning was a lot of fun. as like just a car crash match. Yeah, it was. It was a good, um, it's one of those, I like to call them the slap-ass brawls. A pretty fun slap-ass brawl, that match. But, um, so, we're recording this a bit early, but as whenever this show drops, it'll be, we're going to be right in the midst of, like, December, kind of get into the Christmas season. Um, and 
usually about the time when I would start getting my um, and I don't know if I use cap, but I would start getting like the the gift anxiety where like Christmas is coming and like growing up, I, I mean, I got a few things here and there, but it was like birthday and Christmas where, you know, that's when you really had to stock up because between your birthday and Christmas was kind of slim pickings. I mean, you might get like a discount video game or like some cheap ass toy or something, but for the most part, you're really trying to stock up. <laughs> it's like um, reverse hibernation. You would get all your stuff for winter to try and last the rest of the year. I don't know if you were like that. Like, did you have, I remember like as the days got closer, just like I, the, like I could, my patience would just dwindle to the point of like insanity. Yeah. Uh, I, my parents used to have a rule, like, uh, I mean, this probably isn't great, but you know, we're all grown now. My parents used to dose us with Benadryl on Christmas right. Eve. Right. Uh, so we wouldn't wake up at like four thirty in the morning. Cause one morning I woke up at three thirty in the morning and watched sports center for four hours until everyone Right. Woke up. Um, but yeah, I was the same. Like, you know, my, my parents are separated and like it was just like I would get and my birthday's in May. So I would like get some gifts on my birthday and then like the big haul would be at Christmas. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of the same with thing. And it was like, man, I hope I get these video games that I want because they're going to run me probably until next year. Right. No, I did the same thing. My mom would give me like some NyQuil. It, it's. But you know what? The, the modern version is uh, people just give their kids melatonin, and it's like we like justify it by being like, "Oh, well, it's it's more natural, whatever." But it's it's the same. <laughs> you know, you're doing the same thing. You yes. Make your kid pass out. But like um, you're jumping huh? off the walls. You need to here take this. You'll be asleep in thirty minutes. Yeah. That's a, no, I know you're not a fan of it either. The Christmas Story. I know you're not. A, <laughs> I know you're God. famously a Christmas Story hater, but. That was kind of the reason why I became a fan of it because they started doing the 24 hours and it was like something for me to watch on Christmas Eve through my Christmas uh, insomnia because I was so excited to get my gifts that I couldn't sleep. So I would just kind of just stay up and try and go to sleep watching a Christmas story over and over and over again. So that's kind of originally how I got into it. I, I think they you. I think they <laughs> show that to the prisoners at Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> right. Christmas story just on a loop. You, you could have watched so many more better movies for Chris, like Turbo Man, yeah, I mean, Home Alone. Look, here, here's the deal, though. This was, we have to think, this is like 1998 or something. So if you were going to do that as a, a nine-year-old or whatever, like I didn't have a VCR in my room at the time. Like this isn't how it is now where you have streaming. You just like, well, let me just throw on Home Alone. You said that it was like one in the morning on Christmas Eve and either you were going to watch like some marathon of like off-brand Christmas cartoons or a Christmas story. Like there was, it wasn't, uh, it was kind of slim pickings as far as if you were like, when it came down to the wire on Christmas Eve, of course you watched it leading up to it, but I didn't have too many options, Scott. I know. Yeah, I just I just hate that movie. I'm sorry. I just I just hate it so much. But um, the the long way I'm getting to this is that um, since we are, it's a, a weird coincidence that the timeline, it rarely happens doing a pod, but we are kind of close um, in our current time of the year to the time we are in the timeline, in the podcast timeline that we're right up for Survivor Series. And so um, this is historically um, kind of famously a downtime for WWE, like specifically between Survivor Series. And I think you could argue even after like December as January ramps up to the Rumble, maybe even January can be kind of fun. But December in from Survivor Series through December is 
maybe considered their most downtime. So, and that's what we were getting into. So lucky you, Scott. Yeah, but these were fun episodes. So like, it doesn't feel like they've, you know, fallen asleep at the wheel yet. Right. So it just wanted to put that in context as we are coming off of this to see in 2002, how does this stack up with some of our other Decembers? Because again, it's kind of known as a, a downtime for WWE as with the holidays and them kind of, kind of get put maybe having a little bit of a break before they ramp up into mania season. So we'll see how they fare. But um, as this customer on the show, we will go through some news and notes. We have a few, um, of course we have a few coming off of survivor series. That was in the books. It saw five title, cha- five titles change hands in the debut of the elimination chamber. Um, a fun uh, fact that Meltzer has in here is that um, me and JT talked about it, but we didn't have a figure, but um on this newsletter, he talks about the uh, that it was five hundred thousand dollars to build the elimination chamber, which was even more than I would have thought. Like half a mil, I knew it would have been like in the hundred thousands, but I didn't know it would quite be half a million. Good lord, um, that's quite a hefty cost on that chamber. And they've redone the chamber since then, since this time. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that the most current one is half a mil as well, or? Oh, it could be even more expensive if I had to guess. Right, <laughs> like. But yeah, so he kind of, you know, like hypothesizes that it means that this thing is going to get used. And he was certainly right because they would use the shit out of it um, in the future. So they at least recouped the money from it because they got the most out of it. Um, He gets into the throat injury that uh, JT and I mentioned on the last pod, just that Triple H uh, had a crushed larynx uh, and he kind of had to suffer through the last 30 minutes of the match. Uh, and he had to be rushed uh, to the hospital, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the last thing is that it was the an all-time gate record for the time in um, New York City at over $1.25 million because the tickets apparently were super expensive for the show. That's a pretty decent haul right there. Jeez. Right. Um, another thing that we mentioned in the last pod, but I'll just kind of confirm it here, is that Brock Lesnar went into the match with a torn PCL muscle. Um, it's not going to require surgery, and he also has a broken rib, and so they made the storyline out of it. So maybe besides Big Show being, you know, not being able to wrestle for more than four minutes while passing out, probably <laughs> another reason why that match was, you know, as short as it was, and why they decided to kind of pivot away from Brock as champion for a bit to um, maybe have him, you know, uh, as we'll see on these shows, maybe take a bit of a break from entering action. Uh, there's a, a bit of a territory war here going on in the Philadelphia Indies. A lot of maneuvering and jockeying for position between ROH, CZW, and XPW and some other smaller promotions. Um, uh, XPW tried to get an exclusive lease on the Viking Hall, Scott. So fighting over the Viking Hall here. Ring <laughs> XP, of Honor heard about XP, huh? XPW is the one that cut that guy's thumb off, supposedly, right? Yes. Um, yeah, and I think threatened to cut off his ding as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, they signed an exclusive lease near, with the nearby Murphy Rec Center, figuring that if XPW gets Viking Hall, all the other companies would use the Rec Center. So they decided to hurry up and lock it down. CZW is looking at renovating its old building in nearby Sewell, New Jersey, and running exclusively there. CZW had previously left New Jersey due to the state's athletic commission banning garbage matches, and now Pennsylvania has basically done the same. So a lot of jockeying for the uh, the Viking Hall, the Murphy Rec Center, the uh, <laughs> fighting over the uh, territories here in the indie scene. Oh, that's, God. 
they probably weren't even draw, drawing enough to even cover whatever they were supposed to be renting it off at and trying to do this. Just amazing. Yeah, I like them renovating a building is kind of a funny idea. <laughs> like, uh, you know, renovating the bingo halls is kind of fun. Like, so for, especially like CCW, like we got to have a nice, uh, let's redo the flooring so we can uh, soak it in blood when we smash <laughs> each other with the uh, light tubes. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, China appeared on the Best Damn Sports Show, period, and among other things, announced that she and Sean Waltman, um, X-Pac, currently six-Pac in TNA, are engaged. Um, I'm sure that will go swimmingly. What could go wrong? Yeah, did you watch them on The Surreal Life when she was on it? Uh, of course I did. Okay, I just want to make sure. I remember watching right. that, and like X-Pac, six-Pac shows up, and he just looks like the scummiest person ever in the world. I'm like, damn, they did my boy wrong on this. But looking back at the time and what he's admitted, they were like just drugged out of their minds. Right. Um, certainly a um, a volatile relationship, to say the least. And of course, the famous sex tape is along um, with that one night in China. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he looked rough on this. Like, I remember him looking like so puffy and uh, like you said, just gross. <laughs> On the surreal life. The whole, like, castmates were, like, shitting on him, like, you're a bad guy. And, like, you know, he has his bandana on because it's X-Pac. And it's like, what What are we doing? Yeah, we got the X-Pac heat on the, <laughs> from the surreal life crest. He did. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, speaking of another click member who's always having troubles, news just came out that Scott Hall was again arrested for DUI in September pulled over for driving on a rim. He refused to submit to a breathalyzer or any other drug testing and was arrested. Uh, he got a plea bargain down to a slice, slightly lesser charge and Hall's license has been suspended. It should also be noted that when Hall was arrested, his 11 and 7-year-old children were at home alone when the police spoke to the kids. 11-year-old Cody said he felt threatened by his father and had a panic attack and been talking about wanting to commit suicide. So, uh, some real dark stuff. It's, you know, we're all happy for Scott Hall that he's kind of you know, got through it and, you know, he's in a better place now. But man, when you read about the details of, you know, his darker days and you really get into the nitty gritty of it, it is some real depressing shit. And especially what he did to his kids, like 11 year old thinking of like killing himself, like, damn. Yeah, That's just so. Sad. But also, right. I would have loved to have been Scott Hall's attorney from 1998 to like 2003. I'd retire off. <laughs> right. Well, if you paint you. Also true. <laughs> right. All right. Finally, Undertaker is going to be off of TV for a while. His wife is about to get birth, and then after she's recovered enough, he'll be getting elbow surgery. So um, pretty common for, I think, Undertaker to take. Um, you know, he's been around for a while, and he sometimes takes these little sabbaticals when he has injuries and whatnot. So um, not a bad time for him to go out after that really awesome Brock match and kind of putting Brock over. Not a bad time, I think, for him to take a few months off. Yeah, and it sells like the hell in the cell. I know, and I know Big Show threw him off this, the ramp, but it, you know, it leads credence to both of them. All right, so with that, we will get into the uh, into the episodes. We'll start with the November eighteenth, O two Raw, and we are live from Bridgeport, Connecticut, a very Connecticut. Um, um, Gruny would be proud of this set of uh, shows because we are it's very Connecticut centric here. Live from Bridgeport, um, we open up with Eric Bischoff disappointed that a limo is Flair and not Big Papa Pump because he is still not officially signed and Eric is hoping to land him. Uh, Flair tells us that Triple H um, will not be here, but he is um, 
but Flair will be in a number. He'll be in a number one contenders match. Flair mentions the crushed trachea and trips can't compete. And he gives uh, first trouble. Eric gives Flair a match with Kane. Uh, after this, we head out to the ring for our opening promo, which is HBK coming out to celebrate his big um, title win at the pay-per-view. JR compares it to Michael Jordan returning and winning the title. Like, um, so I guess comparing it to Jordan coming back from playing baseball or whatever. Uh, Sean debates whether he should go out on top, etc. It would be the smart, sensible thing to do, but he's never been a sensible guy. Um, so that leads RVD to come out. He puts Sean over and calls him a fighting champion and mentions that they should have they should start to square off until Eric Bischoff interrupts, saying he will have to earn it in a triple threat. And Bischoff tries to assert his dominance over Sean that he is going to, um, you know, Sean's not going to call the shots. He runs the show. Uh, Sean then takes a dig at the whole necrophilia angle, saying that uh, Eric Bischoff questions, saying, does it offend you as a Christian? And uh, Sean says, no, it offends him as a wrestling fan. So real strange digression, them trying to, I guess, retcon or kind of self-deprecating humor, I guess, here. But HBK HBK says he'll defend against whoever the winner is uh, next week on Raw. So very long promo segment, like a good like 15 minutes long. What did you think of this whole open and HBK coming out to celebrate the title and this whole deal, Scott? I'm going to start off with like Bischoff, like when he like sees Flair, like Flair's been this mm-hmm. heel for months since he turned on RVD, but they're like, they're kind of positioning Flair and Triple H as a baby face. They're like, he had a crushed trach in between passing out. He still wrestled and put on a hell of a match. And Bischoff's like, he doesn't care what people, he, he doesn't care about people. He just cares what they can do for Raw. So it's kind of like positioning like Triple H and Ric Flair in my, in my opinion, at the beginning, at least, as uh, baby faces, which I did not remember at all. And when Sean mm-hmm. came out, like, he had the worst haircut ever. Um, it looked like a girl's haircut, which I don't know if you remember this, but I remember it being big in, like, 2006, 2007, where the girl would put, like, I called it, like, the poof thing, where the girl would put, like, a strip of the hair and, like, then pull it back or something. I don't I have to find a picture to show it to you. I'm not describing Right, right, right. But that's what it looked like to him. And also, this horrible hair was in that video game that I spoke about. But um, and RBD, like, you know, maybe it's they're going with Shades of Grey because he gets a dig in at Sean for saying he loved watching him as a kid. So it's like, hey, old man, my time is <laughs> right. now. And I was really excited for a potential um, RBD versus HBK match. I don't remember them wrestling that much or if at all. And I was really excited for it. Then Bischoff comes out and just randomly throws Booker T in at Jericho. It's like, okay. Right. It's, it's, it's a little kind of, it's not really compelling in any kind of storyline sense. It's just sort of generic. We're going to ask some guys fight to be number one contenders. Kind of like the, honestly, like the scraps of the elimination chamber, like the lower tier guys. The, you know, the kind of supporting cast of the chamber, I guess you could say. But like you mentioned, we're already starting to get into if Sean's going to be sticking around the the dream match prospects starting to pop up already. Like they're going to make sure that they get the most they can out of it, like have him face RVD, which is a dream match on paper. Like all these guys that kind of he passed by in his long um, absence from wrestling, they're going to go right into it and. You know, from an in-ring perspective, it's really interesting. But to your point, just kind of throwing all this together is not the most interesting thing storyline-wise, but it doesn't always have to be. Um, the, the Triple H thing you mentioned is real interesting. It is 
I find they like to kind of have their cake and eat it too sometimes with Triple H where he's got to be like this, you know, evil heel. But at the same time, it's not always the cowardly heel. Like he's simultaneously like a dickhead heel, but he's also like the toughest guy in the company, which is a lot of times the criticism of him is that he never shows any kind of, you know, he doesn't show enough ass at times. So I feel like that's an example of this. Like, I, I don't know if they're really trying to make him babyface, but they want to push that he's tough and push the injury across. And I guess maybe if anybody thought the match, you know, just so they kind of under, kind of low-key letting us know what happened during that match, maybe if people who watched the match felt it was a little weird at times, maybe letting them know that it was legit, I guess. And, and But, like, to your Triple H point, like, since before Survivor Series, because one of the podcasts I was on was when he attached – we didn't know at the time, but it's when Sean was attacked. So since SummerSlam, he's attacked Sean, like the way that, and then like was like hunting everyone down. Then he gets the title handed to him, the weird angle with Kane, and now they're trying to make him like he's like the baddest SOB on the planet. And this is all within like a three month period. It just seems like they're running right. through it as much as they can, like you said, to make him like I am the game. Oh. Right, and it does, I guess, in a sense, too, it flares sort of like his Heyman in a way. So I guess you could say it's his manager trying to stick up for him and come up with an excuse as to why he lost, maybe, which I guess is fine. But, yeah, it's given the track record, it does come off as them just, you know, one to put Triple H over as, you know, the big tough guy who survived, which, I mean, to his credit in this case, I mean, it really was a pretty ballsy performance. Um but yeah, it's always making sure we make sure everybody knows that that he is uh, the game and that he could survive anything and he's the toughest guy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it kind of sets up the the Sean thing. But I too am very excited at the a potential RVD Sean match. But um, all right, after this we get a little throwback to the first Raw. We get a, a few clips from the first ever Raw from the Manhattan Center as we get closer. As they start to hype the uh, the tenth anniversary of Raw, which will be in January of two thousand three, which is insane. Like it just shows. Like I've said it a million times when I started doing the pod, but just that this era is now nostalgic, even though it doesn't seem like it's that long ago. This is like basically twenty years ago, but it really hits when they start talking about the tenth anniversary of Raw. Now we're up to like nearly the thirtieth anniversary of Raw. It just shows you. How, you know, compared to where we are now, Raw is still somewhat young in this period. That's just insane. Like, I, it just blows my mind. Like, like, I don't know. It just feels like like 10 years ago to me was 2001 instead of 10 years right. ago being 2011. And it's just like, what the hell's going on? But, yeah, 28 years of Raw right now. Right. That's, and then I could name... I could name however many moments from the first 10 years, and I'm not sure how many I could name from the next 20, which, you know, not trying to do the whole talk shit about current WWE thing, but it is, it does kind of weigh in your mind. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. All right. We'll go to our opening tag match with our opening match, which is going to be a, um, a six person tag match which is nearly running back the tables match from last night. The only difference here is that instead of Jeff Hardy with the Dudleys, like you said, the uh, Dud Hardleys, we're going to get the actual Dudleys. It's going to be Spike, Bubba, and Devon all together, and they're going to be facing three-minute warning 
um, featuring Rico. Uh, we, uh, we, they quickly cover as the match starts that Devon was traded. They just kind of hand wave it, which is whatever, who cares? But, uh, this whole match is nonstop action. Um, three bit of warning getting pretty handled in the, in the early going Rico misses a moonsault, which is a very beautiful moonsault. I have to give Rico credit. He has a pretty nice moonsault. He gets some nice elevation real smooth, but he does miss it. Of course, he's a big goof. Uh, Spike ends up hitting a Dudley dog on Jamal, which I thought was kind of insane. That 160-pound Spike is able to use his weight to pull Jamal down. Uh, Rico ends up eating the 3D, and the Dudleys win this pretty handily. I, I wouldn't call it a squash or anything like that, but it was pretty well. Like, like I never felt like the the, uh, the outcome was in doubt. You kind of knew Rico was going to eat the pin because... He's Rico, but uh, yeah, it was just them trying to show us that the Dudleys are back, pop the crowd, kind of a, a as we'll see kind of on this night, maybe a, um, a watered-down version of what we saw last night. So I just ended up going a star and a half, Scott. Yeah, I went a, a star and three quarters. It like it was nice seeing the Dudleys back together, um, but like I thought three-minute warnings, like, dominant run lasted longer than it did, but it was only a couple of months, as as you've seen on this podcast. Like, you know, if they're still going to be, like, these big badasses, like, you know, the muscle for Bischoff, they shouldn't be losing. But, you know, it just shows, like, they seem to just burn out real quick. Yeah, like, I feel like I remember them having some kind of run as a tag team and having some success as a tag team after the – destroying people but they really haven't like once they stopped you know doing the beatdowns they just sort of became kind of just another team like they're kind of Bischoff's henchmen they I mean they have Rico but and they're kind of wishy-washy with them like sometimes they want to make them seem like they're badasses and dominant but then sometimes they come out and get handled by the the Dudleys and Spike hits Jamal with the Dudley dog like if you really wanted to present them as you know these monsters I don't know if he should be (laughs) taking the Dudley dog from Spike, it's kind of odd, but yeah, it's epitome of fifty-fifty booking, which you know we're not going to bash on current day, but yeah, right. So, but the Dudleys are back. That was all point of it. But uh, we'll keep going here. We uh, we see Stacy has some uh, testicle shirts that uh, she wants to be uh, hawking tonight. So we'll see that a little bit later. Um, a random a random dude tells Eric that Triple H is here. So this is going to be a weird thing as this night goes on because this they keep talking about it as the entire night goes on that Triple H is here. And, I mean, spoiler, I'll just say it now. He never shows up. It's just a weird – and this is like the first instance of it. Yeah, it, like it, it didn't make any sense. And I will say, uh, not to sound too pervy, but when you say something like that, obviously you do. Holy shit, Stacy looked amazing. Yes, she she is um a very beautiful woman, of course. Yes. yes. And um you know, she's good at this whole deal. Like she has good comedic timing and stuff, I think. Like I think she's doing a good job of this goofy storyline. Like she's um I don't know, like I like the um like her, her cheerfulness about the whole thing. Like her enthusiasm was like really funny. But we uh, we then get a extended recap of the chamber, which uh, if you would like to hear more about the elimination chamber, check out the previous episode of this podcast. But I won't go into it too much. It's just them kind of doing the hard sell, I would think, to kind of get you to buy the uh, the replay. But you know, they recap the chamber, and we then find out that the big bad booty daddy is here, <laughs> and um, Eric is just like 
Eric is so obsessed with Scott Steiner during this whole thing. Like he is just, he's over the moon about it. He's so excited to sign Steiner. He thinks this is the night he's finally going to get him. Like he talks about it so much that I keep forgetting that they haven't signed him yet. Yeah. And God, I was so happy when they said that Scott Steiner had, had signed with WWF, sorry, WWE. And uh, just what happened is just so frustrating, but he shouldn't have came in as a babyface. That's all I'll say. Right. So we'll, we'll see. Um, he's here. We'll see more from him in a minute. But uh, Stacy comes out now to um, to show off the testicle shirts. She says that the testicles need to be supported by a nice cotton t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> so th- I liked how like thrown together these shirts were. It was my like the most generic screen printed like had the like sort of seventies font. But it's just like black shirts with this real plain font and with just different sayings on it. So the three options that she shows the crowd, we have rub me the right way, take a test ride, or I love my testicles. So um, before I say what the fans uh, like the most, did you have a favorite of these, Scott? Uh, the one where it's like I like my test. God, I can't. I, I think it was the second one that I liked that I thought was pretty funny. But all three of them were like. I'm sure I was eating this up as a 13-year-old in 2002. So I was eating it up as a 31-year-old in 2021. So I guess I maybe take a test ride was your favorite. No. Yes, yeah. yes. Maybe. I don't know. But one of the ones that said testicles. You're talking to someone who, when Raw came to Charlottesville, Virginia in 2007 or 2006, I wanted to buy the Carlito Do You Spit or Swallow t-shirt because I knew that. <laughs> but I was pissed. That they switched it out for one, which I still bought, where he's holding an apple and he took a bite out of it. But, yeah, I was going to buy the Do You Spit or Swallow with the fucking apple on it. Would have been suspended from school immediately when I was. I was to say, you, you wear it to school and then <laughs> they catch it right when you're walking in. That's a call home. Yep, anyway. or flip the shirt inside out. <laughs> anyway, the crowd likes the I Love My Testicles, which you could um, – you know, it seems like it would be the favorite. Um, she then gets out the uh, the old uh, China cannon, air cannon thing that they usually have at, like, basketball games, at NBA games. Starts, she calls it the uh, testicular cannon. She starts firing <laughs> off the tes- testicle shirts into the crowd until a, a pissed-off Stevie Richards comes to break up the party. Uh, says that Test is in India and she's all alone, um, standing very uh, menacing low for her. And I love this because he tries to act like he's going to actually do something, like he's so menacing, and she just kind of laughs at him and shoots him in the nuts with the cannon. <laughs> it was kind of a great moment. It really was a great moment because she just nails him with that. I laughed really hard at that. Like, I just love him trying to be like, ah, now you're all alone, I'm going to get you. And she's like, shut up, Stevie Richards, and shoots him in the balls. But she does get attacked by the deranged Victoria who comes out and assaults her. And in a really awesome uh, spot, she like bites her fingernails off, which was just like so weird and psychotic. I kind of loved it. Um, I hate any injuries to like fingernails and eyeballs. So that really bothered me. So they got their point across real quick. Right. I love how I feel like I like Victoria going all in on the on the being a psychopath thing. And like this is, you know, I just like that. It gives you something memorable, like something to remember from this. Like she had just come out and beat her down. She did some like weird stuff, like started biting her fingernails, which is, you know, it's just it's much more memorable and crazy. It's like little touches like that that are going to get her character more over. So I enjoyed that. 
Um, but Stacy does not enjoy it. She complains to Eric Bischoff about this. And Eric, being the, um, the asshole that he is, gives her a match with Victoria, which does not bode well for Stacy. So we'll see, as we'll see in a minute. Um, but then we go to a, uh, a worthless match, which is going to be uh, William Regal and Lance Storm versus Tommy Dreamer and Jeff Hardy. Tommy Dreamer has really come off as a dork recently with his stupid hat and just being kind of a jobber. Just a nothing match. Like um, They kind of go back and forth for a minute. Jeff can't get back in after diving onto Regal outside, and then Dreamer ends up eating a kick to the head, and he gets pinned. The match was like all of 85 seconds. I ended up going a half a star. Just complete filler, nothing. Like um, the, the most they did is the post match, they do the old Raven spot where they do the drop toe hold to Dreamer into the chair. So I guess maybe trying to get over Regal and Storm is like these ruthless heels, but they've been doing nothing. Jeff Hardy is just like they throw him in all these random matches, and Tommy Dreamer is just kind of like a jobber at this point. So just a complete filler of a match. Yeah, it it was a bad match. Hardy never even got in the ring because he got jumped on when he was walking down the ring on the ramp and then did the dive on Regal. Yet Regal was somehow able to get up before Hardy and attack Dreamer. But yeah, it was it was just a nothing match. Like you said, the best part was at the end with the drop toe hold and lifted the chair. Right. It's just nobody that they're really they're putting any steam behind or any focus on. It's just like, hey, you got go out there and like but it's not even killing that much time, which is weird. Like, they don't even get to – it's like, why even do it? It's like 90 seconds. Like, who gives a shit? I don't know. Just – it's the things that drag Raw down. It's the stuff like this where, I mean, these are all talented guys too. I mean, Regal and Storm for sure could be – but they don't they don't put enough energy behind them to really, like, make them feel like they matter. So, which they're dying for tag teams too, so I don't get it. Yeah. Anyway. All right, we get a recap of the Steiner debut, and then he heads out to the ring. J.R. King, um, fully on the Eric Bischoff train on this one because they want him on Raw as well. The crowd is still – the crowd heat from uh, the last night at Summer, uh, at SummerSlam Survivor Series is still off the charts here. The crowd just loves him. Um, he then goes into, like, his full-on, like, catchphrase <laughs> mania, like WCW version. He only cares about the freaks in the peak, so he's been busy. Ladies nationwide have been satisfied. Um, I like, too, that throughout this, he comes out and he's like, you know, a lot of people wonder why I haven't shown up sooner. And then he gives, like, no reason at all. He just goes into his catchphrases. Like, like he think he's going to actually give some kind of, like, you know, they've been wondering why uh, I haven't been here. And he's like, because I only care about freaks and peaks. Like, what is that even? Have to do with he anything. Was, he was making <laughs> Braun Breaker because I, I don't believe that's Rick's son. That's definitely Scott's son. Oh, so that's what that's what he was doing. He's making Braun Breaker. Can't wait for that thirty for thirty documentary. Yeah, be a love triangle of the Steiners. Also, it, he said that there's nothing finer than Scott Steiner. Just amazing. Right, he's just yeah, he's just going through the full like, you know, going through his whole repertoire here. He says that Raw makes him want to puke with guys who aren't stars saying they are, so he's just burying the shit out of everyone, as he's known <laughs> to do. And he says no matter what show he's on, he's here, not here to, He's not here to make friends, which leads an angry Jericho to come out and interrupt him in his amazing red pants. Like, those pants are so sick. Like, they're like, um, I don't know how to describe them, like, blinding, shiny red 
bedazzled pants. He says that uh, Steiner's talking gibberish and there's nobody better than Jericho. And he says, look at this physique. Uh, he said he's a king and a rock star, and he calls Steiner a jive-talking moron. So I kind of <laughs> like the, I like Jericho firing back at him here. These are some good Jericho. I like the physique and the um, a jive-talking moron. It's kind of a good line. Yeah, it really was. And then he uh, he also says that Steiner dresses like King Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the chainmail or whatever. <laughs> so great. Like Jericho's just they needed someone like this so Steiner doesn't get lost. But uh, <laughs> I I just love this whole thing. Like I, I, I love I Scott Steiner. Would Jericho always feel because I mean, let's face it, like Jericho's. I feel like it's pretty known he's kind of bitter about his time in WCW. Not like bitter in that I think he was happy for the opportunity, but his later days and just like the backstage politics and all. So I I do feel like there's part of Jericho when he can come come out and like have these old WCW like stalwarts like this. And then he finally gets his chance to like talk shit to him. I do feel like he kind of relishes a bit. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I feel like he puts a little extra oomph. Like when he calls up a giant talking moron, I feel like there's a little bit of like, I was held down on WCW coming out there. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned this because um, in his second book, he talks about like how they would send him out for like against for Scott Steiner and for Goldberg. And he's, and Vince told him, he's like, don't try to tongue-tie Scott Steiner. And then, like, he does, Scott does get a little tongue-tied. But Jericho's like, yeah, he did it to himself. So, like, I think that leads to what you just said. Like, you know, he's basically admitting, like, yeah, I went up there and try to make myself be better than them. To show them what they All missed. Right. All right, so Steiner fires back. He says, I'll kick your medieval ass. <laughs> My veins are bigger <laughs> than your arms. And uh, Jericho pretends like he's going to hit the ring and just completely bails out. And he says, if he did have a match later, he'd be he would come beat up this ass clown. And uh, <laughs> Big Papa Pump says he'll stick around for later. So I kind of thought this was pretty enjoyable. Um, you know, as soon as Jericho came out, like Jericho's lines, it's it's always kind of entertaining to see Steiner do his, you know, his um, his whole spiel. But Jericho's lines were pretty gold in this one. Yeah, he's he's a national treasure. I, I love Scott Steiner, like especially like I went back and watched some of his matches where he's just killing people, and he's just amazing. I think I'm just gonna start calling people jive talking morons <laughs> like the next month. Yeah, all right, we I'm, head to our. Uh, uh-huh, go ahead. I'm gonna go back to calling people ass clowns because that's how I stole some of my uh, curse words. I would call people like slap nuts, ass clown, you know, stuff like that. I was I was a nerd. A big old fucking wrestling nerd. Not much has changed. My favorite thing about Steiner, too, is, like, what he's saying all that, he has that, like, heavy Michigan accent, like, that Midwest, like, it's like, not this finer, this that Steiner. Like, he has that, like, almost like Minnesota, you know, like, Minnesota, Michigan. Yeah, like that Michigan, Minnesota, like, Midwest accent. But he's, like, you know, he's this big, roided up freak. It's just amazing. Fucking anyway. golf balls right there on his on his arm. It's just ridiculous. All right, all right. We now get to uh, the match between Victoria and Stacy that Eric Bischoff has almost, I guess, he's just uh, being old sadistic. Eric Bischoff. Uh, Stacy gets some kicks in for some reason. I'm not sure why they even thought she needed to get any offense. I guess so the crowd maybe can get behind her a bit. But um, Victoria then beats her pretty handily, and she hits. And I want to say this is the debut. I think this is the first time she does it. And they don't call it by the name, but it's the Widow's Peak, which looked absolutely sick. 
especially on Stacy too, because Stacy's so tall and kind of lanky, and so she just kind of um, like compresses her on her back and then and then drops her. It's it's a pretty impressive move. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I thought she killed her. To be completely honest, I was like, holy <laughs> shit, Victoria just Snap. killed her. Just broke her it, neck. <laughs> but yeah, this was just more of them trying to continue to push Victoria as a maniac. Um, as she, even after she wins the match, she keeps choking uh, Stacy out. So not much of a match. It was more just about getting Victoria over as a maniac. So um, I, I want to star on it. And, and Trish comes out to make the save, of course, to kind of continue the uh, the story with Victoria and Trish. But then Stevie comes back and lays out Trish. So more heel heat on Stevie. It kind of starting to position Stevie, I guess, as Victoria's kind of weird, <laughs> like psycho little lackey kind of guy, I guess. Yeah, I, I knew they had gotten together. I couldn't remember when they got together. So obviously now, and I went, I went a quarter of a star just for this, just for her hitting that move because it was less than the Lance Storm tag team match. But um, yeah, also I thought, I still can't believe they're doing man on woman violence. <laughs> violencelessly i thought it had stopped by now but i think we got a couple more months of that right no there's still all in uh, anyway all right we then get um in another weird kind of video package thing we have it's like a commercial for the album that they have here and it's hurricane like talking about hurricane like out of gimmick too which is weird because they don't usually show him but talking about why he likes his theme like his hurricane theme and about how he likes being a superhero and all just kind of random. But and then we find out that Maven is at the world. So, you know, <laughs> that's happening. Yeah. It's it, it really nothing. Like I, I, did you have the anthology CD? I did not. I, by this point, I think most wrestling themes, like I think by the time I was old enough to want to like buy the CDs, I would have been downloading them off of, you know, <laughs> Uh, file sharing, I think, would be the technical name. Stealing them, if you ask. So. Borrowing. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't have it. Yeah, not much going on there. Maven's at the world. Who gives a shit? Uh, but his uh, Tough Enough Pals are going to be out for the next segment. It's going to be Chris Nowinski versus Al Snow in a School of Hard Knocks match, which is a hardcore match. Uh Nowitzki, of course, cuts, cuts a promo before. He says that Maven is the teacher's pet. Is it here? Obviously, he's at the world. We just saw that. And he wants to prove that sh- he should have won the first tough enough. And he will be um, putting Al Snow out. So, you know, just what everybody gives a shit about was them fighting over the honor of who should have won the first <laughs> tough enough. Uh, anyway, Al kind of knocks him around for a bit. He grabs a bunch of weapons. Nowinski uses chalk dust. He pulls out a skeleton like from a classroom from under the ring. Uh, but he gets distracted because he has to do an impromptu Hamlet deal, and he ends up paying for it as Al kind of hammers him with it. Al does not hit the uh, – so this is a pretty sick spot. So Al goes to do the like corner drop kick where you kind of throw the – the guys lay in the corner, you throw the chair, and then kick it into his face. So he somehow like misses it, but still like the corner or I guess the leg of the chair must have hit Nowinski in the face because he completely cracks his tooth out. He's like bleeding all over from the mouth. So like he somehow missed him and cracked his tooth at the same time. It's like the worst of both worlds because like when he did it, it looked like shit. It looked like he completely missed him, but he must have just caught him with the edge. So um, (laughs) just kind of sucks for Nowinski. Like they botched it like (laughs) – 
you know, like it looks soft at the same time. I don't know. It's so yeah, split. It, uh-huh. this like this match. Like, well, I know you'll get to the end of a minute, but like you can literally see when Chris got CTE when he cracked him with that um, that board. Like, he, Chris didn't even get his hand up. He broke like the the, uh, the chalkboard over his head, and it's like Jesus. And then, like you said, with like this chair spot, and like you don't think it hits, but then like they show it, and he's like has he's bleeding from the mouth, a tooth is missing. It's like damn. Now, Portowinski, like the guy, this sounds terrible. Like concussions to like what he got out of him is just not, you know. Like at least you could say like um, like Mick Foley, you know, he put his body to something, but at least he made a career out of it, made a lot of money and stuff. Like this poor guy is in these like bullshit nothing matches and like that last two minutes, but in each one he ends up getting cracked over the head with something. It's just uh, it's brutal, but he. Uh, Al does the bowling ball to the dick spot, uh, and then he uh, puts Chris on a uh, on like a bunch of chairs, and then goes to moonsault him on the chairs. But Chris moves, and then is able to pin Al Snow there. So in typical Nowinski fashion, kind of steals the win. But this was not amazing, but it's probably the most entertaining thing that I've seen throughout this feud. Like just the ridiculousness of it and the, the craziness of him getting hit with the chair and knocking his tooth out and all the stupidity with the chalk dust and the skeleton. Like, it at least was, like, entertaining for, like, an absurdity standpoint where most of their stuff has been straight boring. So I went a, um, a generous star and a half on this. Yeah, I went a, a, just a star and a quarter. Um, I mean, sorry, Chris, that, you know, your brain died for this batch. But, yeah, it wasn't that great. Um I can I just can't get behind Al Snow like when they try to make him serious. Mm-hmm. I liked him with head because that was pretty funny. But like with him being serious with the tights, it's like, dude, no one gives a shit that you were a trainer on Tough Enough. Right. The whole the whole like foundation of the feud is just no one really cares. All right, we get a uh, was not expecting to see him on here, but Eric Bischoff is spe- speaking with Val Venus who. Quickly says that he does not want to be known as Val anymore because he's passed all that. Um, I also like Eric saying that he's a fan of his films, like uh, skeezy Eric Bischoff, <laughs> like watching his porn. But um, he, we then find out that Val or whatever I guess he's going to go by because he doesn't want to be called Val is going to be part of the Bischoff administration. So um, Val last seen, I believe, on SmackDown months ago, just as a kind of generic baby face. So we'll see where this leads. Yeah, and Jerry and JR speculate that it was part of the Big Show trade. So you mean to tell me that Eric traded Big <laughs> Show for Devon and whatever Val Venus's new name is? That's a horrible trade. These are like the trades you get, like um, like the NBA trades where it's like, uh, you know, the second round pick has been traded for cash considerations. Like it's just a like pretty worthless trades. Anyway, all right. We um we didn't see that Flair is supposed to be coming out for um for his match with Kane, but he's not in his wrestling attire, which raises some eyebrows. He tells Kane that he was kidding because he respects him and maybe he's even afraid of him. But he if he lays a hand on him, Triple H will get him. Kane chases after him, but here's Batista who runs out and wrecks Kane with a power bomb. And uh, we kind of get the uh. You know, the intrigue now is, is, will he possibly be an ally of Triple H and Flair? So um, kind of leading up, kind of stemming from the conversation Flair had with him um, a week or two ago 
about uh, saying how impressed he was with Batista. So could he end up being sort of the uh, the bodyguard role for these guys now? Yeah, I, I was expecting Triple H to come out here. So it was a nice little surprise when it was Batista that came out and attacked him. And how funny is it that, you know, a month or two ago, Batista and, and Devon were a tag team, and now they're both on Raw, not even with each other. Um, I, I It'll be interesting to see, like, um, it's just the way they are with this kind of stuff. Like, sometimes they kind of do things like this and then drop it for a while and come back to it. Like, because I didn't remember him necessarily aligning with them this early, but it could be... It is pot like I wouldn't surprise me if they do this and then we don't see Batista for like a month because they just are like that at this time period. Like they just drop things and come back to him. But this is early. Like I didn't think I thought it was later that he started aligning with them. Like I didn't realize it was in 02 already. They were kind of sowing the seeds. Yeah, I really thought it was like the middle of 03. But yeah, it's it's a nice little surprise. Right. Um, but anyway, K- Kane gets his shit handed to him too, which is a little weird, but just kind of a nut, just kind of gets thrown around here. Sacrifice to Batista, but all right. Uh, Chris Jericho, we see on the FU TV is trying to apologize to Christian because he needs his help tonight in the number one contenders match. Christian says that that is his problem. Um, and before the match, we get a promo from Booker who says he hasn't heard one word about him. Uh, that he kind of is always getting disrespected, but tonight he will become the number one contender as we head into the match. So, um, Sean Kidd, um, not happy about that problem. <laughs> Noted Booker T. Uh, anyway. All right. So we go into our main event, which will be a triple threat match for the number one contender spot to face Shawn Michaels next week. So you Booker T versus Jericho versus RVD. Uh, they work a pretty typical triple threat style here. Like, um, with three guys who can go, uh, Jericho, I thought, hit a killer frog splash in this, doing it to kind of mock RVD. But um, it was kind of funny, too, because I watched this um, right um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the uh, AEW, um, the recent AEW show where he uh, did the frog splash. So much different uh, 20 years ago, a little more, a little more elevation, but it was just a funny kind of uh, coincidence. But anyway, uh, Book seems to have it made, but Christian sneaks a chair shot on him on the outside. So Christian actually does come out to help uh, Jericho. Booker is able to survive it. But Steiner comes out. He beats Jericho, beats Jericho's ass, but it's not a DQ all of a sudden. Like now JR tells us like this has actually been no DQ the whole time, which unless I don't know, maybe you caught it. But did they mention that up until that point, Scott? Yeah, yeah they, they, they mentioned it when it was first announced. Uh, Bischoff didn't say it, but JR said it's a no DQ match, and they mentioned it at the start of the match when Christian interfered. They were like, it's no DQ. He can do that. So it was mentioned. They actually mentioned it for once. But then they done this stupid thing where Jericho had, I think, Booker T in the walls of Jericho, and Booker T was trying to make the ropes, which is, this is a no DQ match. Rope breaks right. don't matter. So it's just, but WWE has already been lackadaisical where rope breaks not counting in no DQ matches, but then counting. But um, it's weird too because like Christian tries to be sneaky too, which if it's no DQ, why does he care? Like you know, he tried to like sneak the chair shot. Okay, I think he hits Booker when he's like running the ropes and he kind of is waiting on the outside and just cracks him real quick, like like as if he's trying to hide. But it's, if it's no DQ, why why would he care? I don't know. It's like if it is no DQ, it's like they don't really fight. It's 
it's like you said, it's kind of lackadaisical and that they just want an excuse to make Steiner like where Steiner can come out and beat up Jericho and there, it doesn't actually affect the match, like the outcome of the match. Like it doesn't cause a DQ. Yeah. Um, but anyway, because Steiner comes out and beats Jericho's ass, RVD is able to hit him with the frog splash and win it. So RVD will be our number one contender. So Jericho calling him a jive talking moron, of course, came back to bite him in the ass. <laughs> Um, I thought this was a pretty fun match. It, kind of a basic triple threat style. It got a little bit messy with all the kind of the DQ, like you said, the rope breaks and stuff. Like maybe not really. It's a no DQ, but they're not really working it like a no DQ, which is always weird. It kind of seems tacked on. So I got a little messy, but these are three guys who could go. I, I went with the good old like this is a good match, but not very good or much better. Uh, I went with the three on this one, Scott. Oh wow, we are about to have a big, uh, big difference with this. I messaged right. you, and I thought this match felt like they were like trying to wrestle underwater. It felt like they were in slow motion. Um, the only stuff I liked was everyone stealing each other's finishers. I love when wrestlers do that. Um, and then Jericho killing RVD with a bulldog on the outside. I don't know if these guys were like still sore from the night before because like i said it just felt like they were wrestling underwater everything just seemed like in slow motion match didn't really pick up till when christian came down and then was with scott steiner running down but yeah i, I went a star and a half like ooh, it, i just was not really feeling this match at all and you i know you blamed it on me watching too much aew so that may be the case <laughs> just kidding right? i know you gotta sell you gotta sell okay Hmm, Gotta slow it down. You gotta, yeah. But yeah, it was. It was, certainly wasn't amazing. Like I, I thought it was fine. Kind of just like I said, a normal triple threat style. Like nothing to write home about. Just kind of a solid main event. So I kind of get it. I mean, yeah, it certainly and, wasn't like. Mm-hmm. And I could have been. I was watching this on my lunch break at work. I could have been, you know, pissed off with something at work and just took it out on this match. So maybe I will have to rewatch it. But that's just how I felt with it. Right. But I do like the result because of all these guys. Well, I mean, any of these guys would have been cool, but it would be weird for them to kind of hint at the RVD thing early in the show. And then he doesn't win. So you kind of know RVD's probably going to win, especially when Jericho kind of <laughs> like screwed himself by talking shit to Scott Steiner. So, you know, that's going to come back to bite him. And, um, you know, despite Booker cutting the promo about them not respecting him, I mean, he's not wrong because you really don't feel like he's of any threat to win this match. So it kind of leaves Rob as the, you know, the likely winner. And he does. And then Sean comes out to congratulate him. It kind of sets up the match for him, which we said earlier is kind of a dream match. So the start of the Sean dream match is in his second half of his career. It's beginning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was still expecting Triple H to run out right now and lay both of these guys hey. out. And then it right. went so to the black. Whole- and I was mm-hmm. like, what the, what the hell? Did I miss something? <laughs> It's so weird. Like, they really do make it seem like he's coming out at some point in this show. Like, they, it's very odd that he doesn't like that they spent the whole show saying it. I I don't get it. It's, I don't know. It's for ratings, I guess. Anyway, but um, um, that kind of wraps up Raw. Like I said, it's a pretty straightforward one. A lot of, a lot of recaps and, and stuff on this one. Like, between all the, they recapped the, the long video packages saying what happened on um, 
at Survivor Series and then the stuff from the world and the Hurricane talking about his theme. Just a lot of promos and stuff like that. The, I thought the main event was fine, but it the whole thing, this whole show felt very much like a holdover show, like coming off a pay-per-view, like just trying to reset a little bit, not too much happening. And I, and I don't know if maybe they were thrown off a bit by Triple H legit not being able to come to the show because he's injured. I don't know if that kind of threw them off and they had to rewrite some stuff possibly, but it felt like a hollow is how I would uh, describe this. So I gave it the four out of 10, like sub average on this one. Yeah, that's where I have it as well. It's just four out of 10. It's just like, huh, you know, easy come, easy go. I mean, this felt like it was three hours though compared to the brisk, you know, hour SmackDown it felt like I watched. Right. It just felt, yeah, like not much happening. Like, I felt like you could get the main points of this Raw in, like, I don't know, 30 minutes. But anyway. Um, but it was not actively bad, which some of the Raws I've watched recently have been actively <laughs> bad. So it's got that going for it. Anyway. All right. You kind of said it. We'll go on the SmackDown. So this will be the uh, uh, November, I should say, 21st, 2002 SmackDown live from Hartford. So still in Connecticut, very Connecticut-centric this week. All right, we get a long recap of the Brock saga and his loss at SummerSlam. Uh, I keep calling it SummerSlam. I don't know why. Um, the SS is getting me. Um, <laughs> so at Survivor Series. So just, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but everything that's happened to Brock leading up to Paul Heyman screwing him over at the pay-per-view, and we see that Brock is waiting backstage for Heyman and Big Show to show up, presumably to get his revenge. Um, but we start with a, uh, uh, an opening match, which sounds like a fun one on paper. It's going to be uh, Jamie Noble, who lost his title at the pay-per-view, and he's going to be facing Rey Mysterio. A uh, pretty quick match here, kind of a lightning-quick opener, like about four minutes or so, but they packed a lot into it. Awesome back and forth. And, I mean, this is a cool matchup on paper. When you see it, when these two guys came out, I was like, okay, I can get down with this, obviously. But a um, lot of back and forth, which, I mean, that's underselling it. It's really awesome. Both these guys are crisp as hell, super quick, super agile. But it comes down to uh, Nitty interferes. Um, and so Nitty interferes and kind of cuts off Ray. But the finish to this was really slick. Like, um, you think this is going to kind of screw Ray over, but he ends up springboarding, like, backwards off of the ropes and goes straight into the West Coast pop for the win. So I really thought that finish was slick. But just four minutes of nonstop action between both these guys and kind of Ray winning despite Nidia getting involved. So I went two and a half on it. Just really good for the little amount of time that they got. Yeah, I thought this was a hell of a match. I went two and three quarters. Um, and I loved how Taz told, told Cole, I don't know, I don't hang in the trailer park, which I thought was just so funny of, New York Taz just saying that. It just made me laugh. Um what did you think of that finish? Did you were you as oh, impressed as I was? That that finish was amazing. Like the springboard Hurricanrana. Ray at this mm-hmm. time was at the top of his game. It was I just loved it. Yeah, just typical SmackDown, too, to just kind of throw two awesome guys out there. Let them have a quick five-minute match to kind of just get the energy going for the show, um, which is always a good move. All right, but we move on. We go backstage where we have um, Matt Hardy telling Brock that if he had more, this is amazing. Like, just his delivery of this, I can't do it justice. He says, um, 
um, if he would have had more magnitude. And he says something else too, like um, before that. Uh, I just know he says you, you need more magnitude. You wouldn't have suffered such, like the way he says it, uh, you wouldn't have suffered such a bad twist of fate. And then Brock just throws him <laughs> through a wall. Like one of those great like wrestling walls that they obviously just built for this spot because it's like the shittiest like hollow wall you ever see. I, I I loved it. It was so great. Like like you said, Matt's just goofy as hell. It's telling him he needs more matitude. And like he just throws him to the wall. I love how everyone's freaking out because you see like Crash um, Crash Holly is like in the trainer's room and he's looking through like what the hell just happened. And then you see like <laughs> like uh, I saw. Um, God, uh, Albert, he was sitting there with like Michael Hayes and like, they're like, oh my God, everyone's just shocked. It was, it was just amazing. Yeah. I just love the wall. It's just ridiculous. Like it looks so out of place. Like it does not look like there should be a wall there. <laughs> and he just throws through this like no insulation, nothing, just like drywall with like a couple pieces of wood. I don't know. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with the, the wrestling wall, but yeah, just, I mean, Brock's awesome as too, just a monster. But I just love Matt because he has like this little smug comments. And he's looking at him, and then when Brock grabs him, his eyes just immediately like, like get gigantic, and then he gets thrown to the wall. It's just amazing. But uh, Eddie, then after seeing this, Eddie runs to Stephanie and tells her, um, like as she assesses the damage that just happened, he says he's a maniac, he's loco, and that this is an unsafe work environment with Brock running around. So we'll see how that plays out, huh? No, it was just Eddie was just great in the scene. He's like, "What if he did this to yeah. Kurt Angle?" It was just amazing, right? Like it's his fake like worry. Yeah, it was awesome. He's a maniac. I don't feel comfortable working here. Um, all right, so he did head to Noble to apologize to Nidia because they lost the good life when he lost the cruiserweight title, uh, and the ti- and they have to call someone to get it back. So he's going to call on his crazy cousin Nunzio. So apparently. <laughs> Nuncio and uh, Jamie Noble. I had zero recollection of Wes. Like, zero. And I was watching pretty regularly at the time. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if this will will come of anything, but I have no memory. Like, even after him saying it, I don't remember them being a thing. I have no clue. We'll see. Who knows? Maybe he's going to start dating Nydia. This might end up being a love triangle. Anyway. (laughs) All right, now we see Stephanie trying to reason with Brock after his rampage. She tells him that if he lays a hand on anyone else, he will be suspended. And, um, you know, I was just thinking, like, the logic here of, like, Big Show's been throwing people off of the stage for, like, a month. And then Brock does this, and she's like, you know, this is just out of control. You have to control yourself. Like, Brock must be like, this is bullshit, man. This guy's been, like, throwing people off of stages, and you're going to tell me? I don't know. It's... And I know a lot of it doesn't bother me that much because, I mean, I feel like they're just doing it because, you know, the Brock injury and stuff. But, you know, people's thing here of like Stephanie emasculating people or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's not as bad as it would become later years. Um, I felt she did a good job of just being like a boss on this one. But like you said, the emasculating gets real bad um, in the aughts, like, you know, 2010 to 2020. Right, and I think they try and justify it a bit, like having Eddie say something, so to make it seem like our hands sort of being, you know, like our hands are tied with it because everybody's complaining, maybe. So they do justify that way, but you know, they're just trying to find a reason to 
you know, Brock's hurt. You need to come up with some kind of storyline reason. I get it. All right. We go to another cool match on paper, which is going to be Kidman versus Tajiri. This will be Kidman's first title defense since his big win at the pay-per-view. So this match was, if I were to describe it, like Tajiri just kicking. Like when Tajiri's on offense, he's just kicking. So many kicks, and they're all awesome. Just kicking the shit out of Kidman. And, like, that sounds basic and all, but when you're that it's good amazing. at it, it doesn't matter. Right? He is just laying it in. And then Kidman kind of makes his comeback and ends up winning with the shooting star press. But you know what? That's enough for, like, a good two-star match for me because it was quick. It was a good win for Kidman. It was cool. He plays a good – Kidman always is good as, like, the – the face getting beat up and Tajiri's kicks are always fun to watch when he's on top, kind of working somebody over. So that was enough for a solid match for me. It doesn't take much more. Yeah. I went two and a quarter. The, um, Tajiri like killed Kidman with the kick to the back of the head, like halfway through the match. Like it, it just was amazing. And the shooting star press is always great to see. Like you said, like Rico's moonsault was great. So it's just shooting star press. Yeah, like I'm, I'm gonna miss Noble as champion just because he's really good in ring and he's entertains the character. But I, you know, I think Kidman can do. I think Kidman could, um, you know, going back to his WCW days when he was cruiserweight champion, like that run, I kind of remember fondly. So I, I don't mind if they give it some, you know, give it a little bit of spotlight. I think Kidman could have a good little face cruiserweight title run here, and he certainly has some opponents. I mean, they have guys he could face off with, like with Tajiri and. You know, I guess if Nuncio comes in, he can square off with Nuncio and fight for Jamie Noble's honor. (laughs) (sighs) All right, we go to um, the the van that everyone forgets, Mark Lloyd, as he catches up with Paul Heyman and Big Show. Heyman mocks Mark Lloyd. (laughs) I like the the pulling out the flip phone, talking about, um, like, Mark Lloyd's telling everything that's been going on about Stephanie... um, saying that she's going to suspend Brock and Heyman says he already knows because communication and he pulls out his uh, Nokia from 2002 little flip phone saying that he's already heard about all this. Um, all right. So I've been harping on big shows fashion. We talked about survivor series. I've been very outspoken about his, um, his terrible like jeans and tank top combo. Now we get formal big show here, which he is wearing. <laughs> I guess it's like him dressing up because he's the champion, like wearing a quote-unquote suit, but just terrible. He has like this blazer that's like a brownish-orange. Like it looks like the color of like Charlie Brown's shirt. (laughs) Then he has this like light tan polo shirt thing and then like khaki pants. Like so three different shades of like orangish brown just looks terrible. I I had I had written down that show comes out dressed as his grandmother's couch because that's what it looked like. He looked like he was from like a different era. Like he looked like he was going to show up on like 1974 wrestling, like as the champion. What the hell was he wearing? What? And here's the thing about this too, is that he's like, you know, the size he is even, I don't even think the big and tall store is going to have like stuff for big show. I feel like if he's going to have any kind of suit like this, like a suit jacket, it's got to be like custom made. So did he go in and be like, you know what I need? I want you to give me the Charlie Brown, like yellow <laughs> blazer. Like he, re- he requested this to be like, like made for him. I don't know. 
I can't get over his fashion. It looks he looks like shit. He really does. Literal shit. Looks like yeah, a giant fucking turd. So ugh. anyway. Real rough. Heyman needs to do a better job of dressing his clients because <laughs> anyway. I, I can't get over it. I just couldn't after all I've been saying about that, and then when he, he shows up in that, it's just never gonna end. And um, we talked about it uh, on the last episode, too. His haircut is kind of not the greatest hair, either. He has, like, a weird buzz cut, but it's, like, a real, like, choppy buzz cut thing. I don't know. Maybe Big Show was going through some things right now. <laughs> he was going through some things. Um, anyway. All right. So we head to our next match. which is going to be Chavo versus Benoit. Um, so this whole match was just... This is Chavo, which I thought they told a pretty good story in this one, even though it's kind of a semi-squash match because Benoit kind of handles them. But it's just like Chavo trying to get anything going, but, like, he just cannot ha- – like, he gets some shots in the midsection. They play up this whole s- kind of storyline that he's working over the midsection of Benoit. But it's just – throughout the whole match, you just get a sense that he's just not – like, he can't hang with Benoit. And so he just ends up eating the Germans. He gets hit with the headbutt, and then he gets thrown the crossface. And um, really awesome crossface spot because Chavo's like trying to dive off the top rope, and he just gets caught in the crossface and taps. Like, like I thought they did a good job. Like Chavo being desperate the entire match, like knowing like this guy, kind of knowing that the guy he's facing is better than him, and trying to do anything he can, but it just it doesn't matter because Benoit's just better than him. Which was which is a fine little story for. Something that's pretty much just a match to kind of give Benoit a nice little win. So I ended up going two on this one as well. I, I actually enjoyed it. Um, I like Chavo working the ribs, and then like the three German suplexes are always nice, and like the headbutt, and then um, the nice counter for the crossface. I went two and a half on this. I thought it was very good. Uh, Chavo held his own. I know he's born in the SmackDown Six. Most two are two at the SmackDown Six, so it was very good. Yeah, I thought they did. Um... Good job. Benoit's always good. And, you know, I think Chavo played his role of a guy that's going to get his ass handed to him. I think he played it well. And he, he got enough to kind of make him seem like he might have a shot. Yeah. All right. So just continuing trend. I say it every episode. But just, I mean, this was filler. We've seen a lot of filler on SmackDown too, but it's just more interesting and entertaining filler than, like, this is much better than that tag match with Tommy Dreamer and and Jeff Hardy versus Storm and Regal. Like, you know, this is not anything amazing, but it's it's still better than that kind of crap. It's yeah, it's head and shoulders above it. Like and like like we're going through with this and like half the show's done already and it it's just been a quick watch. Yeah, they're just like here's a cool little here's a cool five minute match, here's a cool five minute match, and then kind of interspersing all the storyline stuff in between. So, yeah, it gets into a nice little flow. Um, they never they tend to we'll get one in a second, but they try to keep the really long promos to a minimum. All right, um, Stephanie's backstage. She advises Brock to stay back from Big Show and Heyman because he's injured, and that if he uh, lays a hand on any of them. He will. She's going to suspend him. And then Brock just says it's bullshit and walks away. <laughs> it was awesome. awesome. It was awesome. Like he, he looks like bullshit. such a badass. It's bullshit. Just walks out. All right. Um, Heyman comes out wearing the title, mocking the Brock bounce, like doing all of Brock's mannerisms that he does during his entrance. Uh, Michael Cole, like 
you know, Cole was fine in this time period, but this was like some <laughs> the kind of stuff that people hate Michael Cole for. But so Heyman does the, the Brock bounce. He comes down to the ring, does all the Brock mannerisms. And when he gets all the way down to the ring, Michael Cole goes after <laughs> like he's been mocking him for like three minutes. He goes, you know, Taz, I think he might be mocking Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Taz is like, uh, yep, I think so. Uh, Michael, I think he's, uh, he's pretty obvious, man. Uh, he's definitely mocking. It was just, he just sounds like an idiot. Just trying to hammer it, like be too heavy handed with stuff. And it's like, yes, we know he's mocking him. You moron. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, Heyman puts over Brock as, uh, having the it factor in the next big thing and being, you know, the greatest thing since WrestleMania, since he debuted and every, like all this, like putting over Brock or we think it's Brock, except he's actually talking about himself that, um, you know, he was the reason for all Brock's success, success, but Brock quit listening to him. So he had to prove that it wasn't just Brock, that it was him that was responsible for all the success. And so I thought this actually did. And I, I mentioned it last episode, how they were going to, you know, because I think the, the difficulty with the big show storyline here is like, it's hard to believe why Heyman would bail on like the golden goose. Like, why would he leave Brock for big show to big ugly suit like big fat big show with his <laughs> terrible suits like why would he leave the blue chipper for this guy and i think this does a good job it kind of gets over like Heyman's delusions about himself and that it was all ego driven like i don't know i thought he did a decent enough job of kind of explaining why he did what he did at survivor series i don't know what did you think scott no i, I definitely agree he you know was saying like i built you up and i can tear you down and like he's like I'm building up Big Show and he's already the champion and I, I love that and also I, I loved when Heyman came out as Big Sh- as a Brock, you could see he was thinking about doing jump on the ring on the onto the ring, realized he couldn't do it so he just went and jumped up on the stairs. I just love that. Oh my god, I wish you would have tried. You'd have blown <laughs> his quads like Vince. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think they they kind of cover it here, like that it's just Heyman's cocky, he's delusional about how great he is. And, you know, thinking that he can turn Big Show into what Brock was. So I thought it was okay. You know, I think it covers fine enough. Um, But then he brings out Big Show. So, again, in his terrible suit, um, he does some um, generic gloating when he gets the mic. um, Brock, I took your title. I took your agent. Blah, 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 yada, yada. Like, just generic heel stuff. And then they mentioned that Edge is going to get a chance at the time tonight, which is real random. Like, as much as they've kind of been – doing the sort of slow burn with edge, like just building him up almost to like the uh, upper mid card right now. And like, so you think this is a guy that they obviously have big plans for, but it's just weird for him to get a title match out of nowhere. Like just a throwaway. It just doesn't seem like edge is the guy that they would do that with. Yeah. I was kind of shocked that, you know, that's usually like what they do with the babyface champion after he wins the title, just have it, do it but doing it with like the heel, just like getting a randomly defending the title. The next, you know, the next show is just a little bit of a shocker. Right. He just doesn't seem like the guy that they would pick in that spot. It's I, I don't know who they would have, but it just doesn't seem like it would be Edge for some reason. Um, I guess they think two of the sides, like maybe he's believable in a match. Like, I don't know. I don't know who else you would pick because with the baby faces. But anyway, I don't know. Just odd. Anyway, uh, finally, Heyman says that his last act before... Um, as uh, Brock's manager was to nullify the rematch clause, so he will not be able to get a rematch with Big Show 
And uh, again, I thought the whole point of this um, before, as Brock's about to come out, was trying to show what Heyman's motive was. And I think they covered that well enough in this promo. But uh, so then Brock comes out uh, on the as they're going up the ramp. We don't think Brock's going to come out. Maybe he's trying to avoid the suspension, but he does come out. And just amazing moment. I love uh, Brock chasing him up the ramp like Big Show. <laughs> like at first, Big Show runs at him like he's going to attack him and then sees him with the chair and then quickly changes his mind and tries to like waddle up the ramp. It's just an amazing image. Like Brock, who it's like. <laughs> Just can like run, like you know, like super athlete. You got big show, like big fat big show in his suit trying to waddle up, and he just cracked in the back <laughs> with the chair. Yeah, and like I will say, like Brock is so big that like you can't make him be a convincing baby face, but it works because Big Show is literally a giant that it works like where he's like, you know, like the baby face right here, and it's awesome. He's just I forgot how good of a baby face he was because it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just a badass. Like, like he's just a badass. And, like, Big Show, to his credit, is doing a good job of playing, like, the cowardly heel here. Like, he does it. A, he kind of adds to it in a bit. But, yeah, just <laughs> I just love him. Like, I love that he gets him, too. But, like, Show has no chance of getting away. Like, for every one step Big Show takes, Brock has taken, like, 12 steps. <laughs> it's just incredible. Um, and, of course, Stephanie comes out and confronts Brock because he wasn't supposed to hit him. Um her delivery here with the um, Brock, Brock. <laughs> if you do anything else, you're suspended. Just the way Brock. That's all I could hear. That's all I remember from this. Brock. So, um, uh, but she does give kind of a second chance because she said earlier that if he did anything, and then he just did something, but she's not going to suspend them. So, it's like a, a, I guess this is warning, his second yeah. warning. I don't know. Your double secret probation right now, Brock. Like, get it together. Right. But I love how, like, right. I did, you brought up a mm-hmm. good point. She was, like, squawking, which you were, did very good with that. Brock! Brock, I can't believe you! And he's just like, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> anyway. All right, we go to our next match, which is going to be Eddie versus Angle. So, like you were saying earlier, Scott, just throw some SmackDown six guys out here, give them a little bit of time, probably going to get a good match, and you do here. Uh, it's just... So the early going is just Angle beating Eddie down. Uh, he hits a six spine buster. Eddie's able to sneak a chair, but even that kind of really doesn't slow down Kurt at first. Like, Kurt is just a, like a freight train in the early part of this match. Just Eddie can't get anything. And then um, Eddie starts to mount a little bit of offense, and Chavo sneaks back uh, because I should say they booted Chavo at the beginning. Like, he was kicked out, but he sneaks his way back and interferes a bit, which finally gives Eddie more of an advantage. Uh, we get a cool sequence where Eddie locks in the lasso. I really, I kind of forgot to use this this much, but I really enjoyed him using the lasso from El Paso. I think it's been a nice twist on his, um, you know, I think it's smart too because um, he is more heel and the frog splash is, you know, kind of more of a baby face move. So I kind of like him leaning a little bit on that submission move with this. And it's a pretty sick move. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I don't really remember it. I thought he would just bust it out in big matches, but he, like, busted it out twice here. And I was like, damn, this is a pretty badass move. So I enjoyed it. Um, this match I have is just really great. They had they had amazing chemistry together. And when Angle is the wrestling, I mean, quote-unquote, the wrestling machine, I know he's not that character right now, but he was he's just on another level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just – and Eddie's so good at kind of – 
like backpedaling, like when there's a guy who's kind of like, I don't know, like stronger than him or he seems a little overmatched as far like physically, like he's just so good at playing that role of, of kind of backpedaling and being crafty and trying to work his way back into it. Like whether it be like the live cheating and stealing stuff or just like using his technical skills, like he's so good at getting that over in a match. Like, and he does that in this one. Um, and same thing, like when he wrestles Benoit, he kind of does the same thing. He's just so good at that. But the sequence with the lasso, so like he puts the lasso on, it reverses to the ankle lock, back to the lasso was awesome. Um, we then see Benoit come out the top of the ramp, and he's just kind of staring, and we're wondering what he's going to do. Um, but he really doesn't end up doing anything. Kurt ends up neutralizing Chavo and then hits a top rope angle slam. You kind of think he's going to go for his uh, normal belly-to-belly when he runs up the ropes and does the belly-to-belly, but he actually hits the angle slam and ends up pinning Eddie. But, yeah, I dug this one. I thought it was solid. Uh, I went, you know, part of this, I'm, I hope I'm not getting kind of, jade is not the right word, but I guess like, um, what's the word? desensitized to like these matches where I see these guys go so much that maybe I'm underselling it. I ended up going three on it, but I have a feeling maybe I may be underselling it a bit. Cause I feel like you might be higher than me. Yeah. I went three and a half on this. I just thought it was awesome. Like I love like the, um, the top rope angle slam was just great. It was so fluid. And I love like the storyline thing of Benoit being out there and just watching Chavo beat up angle. And it, mm-hmm. like this is, I'm not a big fan of Chavo Guerrero, but I forgot how great he was in Los Guerreros. Like as you said, when he was just like walking down the ramp, just so slowly that you wouldn't even recognize, realize what he was doing. And like this is one of the first times that I remember of Eddie using the lie, cheat, and steal when he brought the two chairs, put the one chair in there. The ref like took the other chair and he used the other chair to the chair that he laid down to beat the hell out of Kurt with. I, it was great. Like I said, three and a half angle is just on another level. As a, as a wrestler right now. Yeah, he's awesome. He always brings it in. Um, they're doing a really good job. Um, like with Benoit on the ramp here and the tag stuff, like, you know the big, you know, they've kind of been feuding sort of, but you know the big angle Benoit thing is coming. And they're doing a really good job of, like, keeping them on each other, but kind of holding back a little bit like kind of doing the slow burn with them. I think they're doing a really good job of building that through all these kind of, like I said, with the tag stuff and now the tags kind of broken up, but they're, they're not going straight into it, which I kind of like. Yeah. It makes you feel like we're maybe get another tag match out of this before, you know, angle and Benoit start feuding on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kurt like brags to him after the match. So it's, you know, like you don't get the sense they're going to rush straight into the match between these two, which is cool. It just kind of, yeah, like, will they get come back together to try and win the titles again? It's not impossible. Anyway. All right. Edge speaks with Funaki backstage about not being afraid of the Big Show in his title match later. Uh, Funaki then compares Big Show to Godzilla, of course. Um, so Edge kind of blasts it off and says that if he's Godzilla, if Big Show's Godzilla, then he's King Kong, and he's going to make the most of this opportunity. Um, and he's going to pay the price, um, you know, normal babyface stuff here. But just kind of edge hyping himself up for his big title match later. Thought it was fine, and I always enjoy seeing Funaki. Yeah, I, I liked uh, before, like they did the um, the interview. They showed like before when when they came to, when they came back from commercial break, they were showing like. Edge and Funaki getting ready for their interview. I thought that was a nice little touch that maybe they should do more now. So it shows like, hey, not everything is like it. 
feels like really overproduced now. And back like with that, it was like they were looking over their notes, getting ready for their interview, which I, I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> Funakio covers notes. <laughs> but just one single comment was that big shows like Godzilla. Yeah, the Godzilla thing. And I liked how he said he was King Kong. Yeah, just kind of, and Ed just kind of good at doing the goofy stuff like this. But then he turns it serious at the end, which is pretty good. I've been, I've liked Edge's kind of face run more than I maybe thought I would. I don't know. I'm always a, but I'm on the edge on Edge. Sorry. I, 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 I enjoy that. Um, I always thought he was going to be a big star during this run. I mean, obviously it takes a little bit longer, but like, I remember you'll probably get to this in like 2025 where he gets drafted <laughs> to raw during like the, when evolution comes and he spears Bischoff and he had like a broken wrist, I think at the time, but he was gone after that. But I remember like thinking, Oh, like edge is finally going to get like a world title run. And it still took, took a couple years after that. I, I kind of given up on him being a world champion by that point. He felt like um, Cesaro is now like, like a plug and play character, but they never took him serious until, you know, he got the money in the bank, which unlike with that, I don't think they'll ever do that with Cesaro. Like at first I kind of felt he really walks the line from almost being like too cheesy as a face, but I feel like, and I feel like he's kind of dialed it back when he first kind of, they started this push. I feel like he was a little bit too much and I feel like he's kind of been a little more low key and I've enjoyed him more. Um, but he, he kind of knows how to – I think he's gotten better at walking the line between being, like, too corny and cheesy to, like, knowing – like, picking his spots more, I guess, and not being too, like, Mr. Cool Guy Edge. I think when he starts pushing that too hard, I feel like he can be a little lame at times. But I've enjoyed him. He's um he's growing on me, I'll put it that way, as a guy who's never – a self-proclaimed kind of Edge skeptic, I guess. You say you're not an Edge head is what you're saying. Not necessarily, but also not a, I don't know, what would you be, an edge hater? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> What's the, if you're an edge naysayer, what do you, what do you call it? An edge detractor? Yeah, you're an edge detractor. <laughs> All right. Before, um, before we can get to our next batch between Cena and Rikishi, uh, Dawn Marie and Al Wilson, of course, have to make an appearance at some point in the show. They interrupt, um, <laughs> they interrupt. The proceedings to let us all know that um, their wedding will be coming up and Dawn invites us. Taz is so great when they have any Al Wilson stuff. He says that Al suffers from aging. <laughs> That's a great line. Just always bearing Al Wilson. It's incredible. Uh, his best line was that he wanted to face Al Wilson in the hell in a cell so he could beat him up. Yes. Yes. He says, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, like this. So, so we get into the match. It's like Cena versus Rikishi. And kind of like all of Taz wants to talk about stuff is gone and Al. Like you said, he's like, I want to face Al in the hell in the cell so I can beat him up. Um, it, and I honestly don't blame him because the match is not very interesting. Uh, so we've moved into heel Cena. He is doing the most basic heel stuff you can imagine. A lot of headlocks, really nothing real interesting character-wise, or like anything that's really going to make him stand out. Still has the generic gear. The only he mocks doing the the butt slam thing by Rikishi, but right after he does that, Rikishi just gets up and like squashes him and wins the match. So really not doing anything to make him look like a real threat. I mean, he switched to being a heel, but it's nothing of real note yet. We have yet to see his um. Um, from the Halloween episode, 
We've yet to see that really lead to much of anything yet. So we'll see what it actually picks up. But I want a star. It was almost like a squash to me. Yeah, I want a star as well. Uh, Cena was taken on SmackDown's uh, uh, Bubba Ray Dudley in Rakishi. Yes. Um, I, I'm really shocked after the Halloween episode. Like, you know, they sort of updated Cena's music. I don't remember. It was more like uh, hip hoppy his his theme music this time. But I thought he had started rapping down the ring at this point because it's almost a month after Hall- um, the Halloween episode, and he's still like like you said, he's in generic like creative wrestler clothes for Cena. Um, but you know, th- this next part. Jake, you you messaged me on because I think it was your favorite part of the of the both shows. <laughs> oh yeah, but, all right. So, <laughs> in a return that I was not expecting, um, after this, Rikishi is of course is going to um is going to do his dance, and I think he's going to like stink face scene or something. But to come in and make the save for Cena is Bull Buchanan. Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm not even sure if I remember it existed still. But he comes out and returns. Was not cannot say. Um, I don't know what the odds would have been on me picking a Bull Buchanan return, but it would have been pretty low. And he attacks Rikishi, so I don't know. Could he be um, affiliated with John Cena? We'll see, I guess. That's definitely what it feels like. Um, but it, I had. I think the last time we saw, like, a new Bull Buchanan was when he was with, with the RTC, which was, like, in 1999, 2000. Right. So he'd been he's gone. like, the third, third man down in RTC or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it was, like, he'd been gone, like, two years. Also, like, to imagine, like, backstage, like, you know, John, you knew you came in hot. Uh, you know, things have kind of, you've been floundering a little bit. You find it hard to find your way. We got it, though, man. We got a heater for you. We got a heater. He's really going to help you lift off. We got Bull Buchanan. He's oh, thanks, guys. Can't wait. Like, <laughs> I like to think that Bull Buchanan is the reason for all of Cena's success later in his career. This run, this affiliation with Bull Buchanan. I mean, he owes so, it all to Bull Buchanan. But I will say, so like, random. I don't. He did kind of look like jacked when he came out and beat the hell out of Rikishi. He looked pretty cool because, like, he lifted Rikishi up and slammed him. So. It's so hard for me to not like when I picture him, I picture him in that RTC, like the suit thing. It's like hard for me to not see him in that. Like, well, I feel like without that, it's hard for me to recognize him. He also kind of reminds me of like great value Tyson Tomko. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so that's saying great. something. <laughs> Lord. Great value Tyson Tomko. <laughs> I'm all over the place. <laughs> we have Tyson Tomko at home. Let me cut to him. It's Paul Buchanan. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Uh, all right. Well, we'll see if that'll be what finally gets Cena, you know, launches him into the stratosphere. All right. We see Heyman backstage after the brutal attack by um, by uh, Brock Lesnar on Big Show. He's cowering in fear. Show wants Heyman to get the match canceled. He wants to get Brock out of here. He doesn't want to wrestle a night. He's hurt. I like him like with his back pain. He's like, I hurt my back. Oh, he's like, <laughs> he's such a, he's such a loser. But uh, Heyman agrees. He does not want a show. I mean, loser in a good way. Like he's being a good, like, cry like baby. lazy. Yeah. Like crybaby heel. Yeah, it's good. So we'll see if Heyman could pull some strings. He's like, he almost broke my spine in half. 
<laughs> Good lord. It's like, what are we doing? Maybe they do need writers if that's the shit he's coming up with, so. Broke my spine there. All right. We, um, we get a recap of Brock's entire night thus far. So, you know, I think Raw was worse for it, but SmackDown is kind of suffering from it a bit too. A lot of filler as far as, like, promo packages and recaps. Like, they're recapping this long, drawn recap of just what's happened to Brock tonight. Like, with him, you know, Stephanie saying she's going to suspend him and chasing Big Show. So, really, this whole show is really revolving around this whole storyline, but... Um, Heyman goes, he grovels to Stephanie and tries to get Big Show out of the match. Stephanie is baffled as to why Big Show would not be able to. She assures him that Brock will be suspended if he gets involved. Heyman says that if Brock shows up, um, he will sue the whole family. He will sue SmackDown and then, and, um, for everything it's worth and, um, you know, run them into the ground. Stephanie gets pissed and kicks him out of the office, so... I mean, you you missed the best part where Taz was uh, talking to us about SmackDown. Uh, shut your oh, mouth. Yes. Of course, our daily, uh, I mean, our weekly uh, SmackDown <laughs> shut your mouth promo. And the graphics fond memories? amazing. Uh, yeah, fond I played memories? the I played the hell out of this game. Um, as with all the SmackDowns and SmackDown vs. Raws, I, I mean, the best ones coming up with Here Comes the Pain next year. But I just remember playing playing the, the hell out of this one. I think I had the day off of school due to, like, the election. Like, I think they, due to, like, this, it was one of the election years. And my grandmother took me to Movie Gallery, and I was able to rent the game as soon as they opened at Ooh. 10 o'clock and played it all day. I like the Movie Gallery drop. Yeah. That's some real, that's some real Movie Gallery nostalgia. That's how you know yeah, it's Yeah, I, I remember... You know, I always thought about those games. Is uh, it felt like progressively with each one, the backstage areas became more and more elaborate. Like there were more and more backstage areas you could go to, and like more random weapons. Like I remember in one, you could hit somebody with a watermelon, and <laughs> like that was always my favorite part. And my favorite thing too was to always try. Like later on, it would be built into the games, but in those early games, you would always want to see like what you could do. It's like I always wanted to try and like throw somebody off the cell or like set somebody up on the announce table and jump off the cell. And like you kind of could do it, but it was really like you're fighting against the game because the game really wasn't made for you to do it. So I always remember doing that stuff all the time. Yes, I would always and I would do stuff like that back before you could just download the creative wrestlers like you can now on the PS4 and everything. I would mm-hmm. just kill my my printer ink downloading how to create all these wrestlers because I had right, right. every one. And I was like just printing like 15 pages of like right their everything. And my mom's like, why are we out of printer ink again? And I'm like, listen, this game I right. read it would be like um, five more times. Is yeah, it'd be like it would be like pick medium hair seven, set the tone to like 48 on the brown. Like, yeah, all the little details. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. <laughs> and there was, they would have, like, where you could make Spider-Man, like, and, you know, random people. Yeah, that's that's what I did all the time. Like, I just have, like, my whole little list. I remember one year I created Demolition. I, I spent, like, two hours creating them. I might have played with them twice. Uh, it's just a fun time. Um, those are great games. The heyday of wrestling games between that and the N64 ones. Yes. Uh, Anyway, 
All right. Well, we head to our big main event after that. It's going to be uh, Edge versus Big Show. Big spot for Edge. Um, a lot of the early going is Edge taking the uh, the slow motion Big Show offense. A lot of strikes. A lot of him tossing Edge around. He gets thrown to the ring post. Good selling by Edge. Like I thought he did a good job of getting sympathy and looking like he was really getting his ass beat despite Big Show. And, and I know he's a giant. Like it's kind of his thing. You know, I didn't think it was terrible. I didn't think it was that slow, but it is sort of just him tossing him around. He goes to uh, expose the turnbuckle, but uh, Edge knocks him into it. And then this is where Edge makes his comeback, which I thought Edge's comeback here was really good. And it works because he's been getting, he gets beat down so well and sells so well. When he finally does make his comeback, the crowd's fully behind him. He hits the spear, but Heyman pulls the ref. So kind of a decent spot for Edge there where he kind of gets. They sort of insinuate that he could have had the title there, like on commentary and stuff. So, I mean, that's good for him. But uh, so Edge uh, starts chasing Heyman around the ring. And uh, because and so as he tries to get back in, Big Show's recovered. He choke slams him back into the ring. Heyman, he goes for the pin, but Heyman doesn't want a pin. He wants him to treat him like he's Brock Lesnar, which I guess means to keep beating him up. So he gives him another choke slam. And that is when Brock comes out. Picks up Big Show, hits him with the F5, and then chases Heyman all the way backstage. Um, I love Heyman's running, just his little, uh, I don't know how to describe it, his little Heyman waddle, like running <laughs> running in fear. He's like the crowd. Mm-hmm. He's like the penguin when right. he walks. He is, he is 100% the penguin. <laughs> but uh, he gets chased backstage. The crowd is just going nuts, but Heyman is able to make it to his limo just in time to escape from Brock. And so um, we are left to wonder if this will be, if Brock's going to get suspended for this. And my guess would be that he probably will because he has broken ribs and needs to stay home a little bit. Uh, but uh, but as a match, uh, Scott, I ended up going two on it. I think it was solid. I give Edge a lot of credit. I feel like it's a lot. The, I feel like most of that two stars goes to him for you know selling his ass off and getting the crowd behind him to make that comeback. And the crowd seemed to believe that he had a chance to win, which is very good. And I, I thought this was just going to be a squash, but he got a visual pin for the most part. And I will say um, Big Show showed his strength off when he lifted Edge up from the outside of the ring when he was on the apron and chokeslammed him into the middle of the ring. That was just absurd. And then Brock Lesnar just comes in like F5's Big Show and him just doing it to Big Show's big ass is just a sight to behold. Right, that is like the the main silver lining of it being Big Show. Like, you know, is he going to have classic matches? But it does give him an opportunity to show off his like freakish strength. Yeah, and you just forget that sometimes because like not not everyone's that big now on the roster on current WWE with with Brock and but just seeing that it's like he's just a man amongst boys. Right. Um, but that's how we ended. Um, so kind of similar to Raw in that it felt very much like uh, we just got off a pay-per-view. We're not really coming out of the gate running. We're just trying to build things back up. Uh, like a totally fine show, you know, some solid matches. It's it's a quick watch. Uh, nothing real special on it. I did think the Brock storyline was pretty well done. I like that we actually got a motive for Heyman as to why he did the things that he did. Um, like you mentioned too, Scott, like I think – it helps build Brock as a baby face, but, um, you know, not on the level of some of the awesome SmackDowns because we didn't get that, like, 
to me, we never got that like really awesome match, but a lot of solid matches. So a touch above raw, I gave it the five out of 10 right down the middle. Yeah, I went six out of 10. Um, just like the Brock stuff. And I did enjoy the, uh, the Eddie and Kurt match. And like, cause we got a bunch of story building with that. Unlike where raw, it feels like it's just one story and it's like, what's Sean doing? You know, really? And with this, we, I felt like we had like three or four different stories, even down to the cruiserweights with like Jamie Nobles calling in his cousin, you know, to, to help him out. And then like the Brock stuff and like Eddie and Kurt versus um, the Guerreros and, you know, even the Cena thing. But I don't know if that's because we know what Cena becomes and it's nice seeing like the building, like him slowly work his way up. So that that may be a little bit of a hindrance for me, like not a hindrance, but like just making my grade go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's consistently. It's just as always, it's just a bit more focused than Raw is, like you said. Even though this is not some all timer, there's still you know a lot of focus on the Brock stuff, but you can see like the uh, the Benoit Kurt stuff is still building. You know, you kind of see it doesn't seem as meandering as Raw. Like we don't get quite as much just complete junk. <laughs> That's raw. But, um, yeah, we'll see where they both go. Neither one kind of – you could tell they're just trying to get back into it after the uh, after the pay-per-view and a bit of a reset. As a lot of – you know, a lot of big changes happened on the pay-per-view. But, um, all right, we'll get into our uh, our awards here. Best match. I think we're both going to have Eddie and Angle. Yeah, that, that is correct. Right? Uh, best moment. Mine's kind of um, – Probably for comedic reasons, but Brock chasing Big Show up the ramp was incredible. Yeah, I, 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 can we? Can I go with Scott and Jericho's interview segment? Absolutely. Yeah. No, that was good too. <laughs> Jive talking more often. <laughs> we'll go medieval on your ass, Jake. What is he? Uh, what did he say about the all the? The ladies are what did he rhyme with satisfied? I can't remember now. I, I don't have that written down. Right. Uh, the best show, I think we both went SmackDown by a bit. Yep. By hair. All right. LVP, um, they're kind of on a streak right now with me. I'm going to go with the Tough Enough gang of Al Snow Maven and Chris Nowinski. I'm going to go with Tommy Dreamer. I would not argue with you on that one. I. You know, I could go with Dreamer. I guess maybe I kind of forgot about him, honestly, probably because he was on screen for a total of 35 seconds. But, you know, yeah, he's not looking too great right now. Um, MVP on this one, I, I was kind of between Eddie and Angle. I feel like you could go with either one of them. I'm going to give it to Eddie just because he was a little more present in the backstage stuff, I think. So I'll go with Eddie for this one. Yeah, um, but if I had like a number two, it would be Brock. Because just because of the show long angle, but Eddie, because he's the one that put the bug in Stephanie's ear, and then he had a banger of a match with Kurt. So that works for me. Agree. And so my top five, I definitely, um, like you said, easily Brock is in there. If he didn't get MVP, he'd be like my um, my number two there. I gave Edge um, a little bit of a nod because I thought he did really awesome in that main event, make it a, you know stand out. Steiner, because just his presence right now, I feel like, is um, a breath of fresh air. It's just something interesting on Raw, which is just desperate for things that are interesting. Um, RVD, just because, uh, um, you know, 
him getting set up for that Shaw match. And I'm um, actually with Victoria because I think she's been doing a really good job of getting over a character. She debuted a pretty sick finishing move. So, um, yeah, a little bit for Victoria. You know what? I'll, I'll go with you with that because I was really struggling for the fifth person for my top five because I, I had the same ones of Brock Edge, uh, Scott Steiner, and RVD. But, yeah, Victoria works fine, and it feels nice to have a – you know, they seem to be take at a time where you didn't really think the women's well, wrestling was being taken serious. You have a character like Liz that's not just TNA. Right. Very good. Jericho, I think, was a cl- he could have snuck in, too. I liked him in that promo. He uh, he did his thing in that uh, main event match, too. So good one from him, but just outside. All right. This, that, uh, that wraps us up, Scott. What do you have going on uh, right now? Um, I got, uh, I'm on a bunch of apps, bunch, sorry, bunch of apps, a bunch of podcasts. Um, you can check me out on uh, the newest, uh, one of the newest shows on the wrestling feed, PTB and Pedestal. By the time you're hearing this, episode two should have dropped where we covered the CM Punk versus John Cena match from Money in the Bank um, 2012, which, no, yeah, no, 2011, which holds a special place in my heart. Sorry. Um, also, uh, with Jake, Sean, uh, Matt Souza, and Logan Crossman on PTB and YouTube Roulette, which is just insane. Um, I'm on Crock and Roll uh, with Sean Kidd, Dr. G, uh, and Callum. And we're uh, into uh, February of uh, 1986 right now on that and I can be found on Twitter at Scott underscore Shiflet. Very good. I've been um I've been eating a lot of apps, <laughs> Scott. So <laughs> got that. Um but yeah YouTube Red is a real fun show. I've really um it's one of my favorite ones to do lately because it's just getting on there and kind of run our mouths as we watch some real random matches. It's kind of cool to a little more casual than maybe, you know, not as how do you say this like um not as analytical necessarily. I mean, we get into the matches, but it's a lot of just kind of goofing around, which is fun. But it, it's it's basically Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Like the right. last uh, our November episode, we had a Downhausen who because I, I picked these matches for November Downhausen versus a Mordecai match from twenty twenty, where we learned halfway through that Kevin Furtick sells real estate now. So we learned this because he took out the real estate sign used as a weapon in the match. So that's the kind of stuff you could see on there. But um, um, otherwise, uh, tons of great stuff here on the North South feed. Um, I'll give a particular shout out because it is kind of timely and that I would go check out uh, this week in the NFL. They run every week uh, during the NFL season. They do a really good job of um, a good, concise breakdown of all the uh, major stuff going on. Um, that week in the NFL, I know it's uh, um, usually try and get it in before um, Sunday. Uh, so be sure to check that out as we get into this uh, second half of football season into the playoffs. But uh, other than that, uh, thanks for being on again, as always, Scott. And I will be back in two weeks um, with the, as we continue on the road, I guess, now to Armageddon. But I uh, hope everyone is enjoying this holiday season. Um, and yeah, see you next time.
Tell